So real quickly, uh, anybody in here, you've ever just felt disconnected or discouraged or in just uh, a state of uh, maybe in a sense of like just in despair? Anybody here? I mean, like, yes. Um, And so if you didn't raise your hand, you're probably lying this morning and that's okay. Uh, But we want to talk through that a little bit later. Um, But here's the thing. I, I think all of us have probably had seasons in our life that we wondered, God, are you with me? Are you close? God, can you hear me? Um, God, is this season of my life ever going to end? And oftentimes we think through uh, the things that we've seen and we wonder, like, how is it that I've gotten here? And why is it that I feel so uh, alone? Why do I feel so afraid? Why do I feel as if I'm the only one in this state of disrepair? And in some ways, you even might look at yourself and just think, I just feel broken, and I just feel like I'm uh, without hope in the world. And as we dive in this morning, I, I want to just kind of help you kind of begin to think through um, what it looks like to be disconnected or in despair or in some ways to be discouraged. And I want you to know that there's not levels of those things. As a matter of fact, today we're going to be looking at Psalm 23, and we're going to read the whole passage together, but we're going to concentrate on verse 3. And verse 3 just talks about that God wants to restore our soul. And in order for uh, Him to restore something, there's got to be something in a sense that's broken. And I think a lot of us in here, we have this idea in our mind that we are beyond repair or that we're beyond the ability to be restored. And so uh, this came to mind just recently. Um, matter of fact, it was last weekend, and we were at the house. It was just kind of a Saturday morning. We were kind of chilling out, and then all of a sudden, we hear something break in our house. And uh, one of our kiddos uh, comes to us, and they have this planter in their hand, and, and the, the vase part of it is just it's broken. And it was one of those d- deals where, like, Mom, Dad, like, I, I broke the vase. And um, then right after that, they kind of look at you in the face. They're like, okay, and what's next? Uh, and I'm like, hey, that's okay. Thank you very much, buddy, for sharing with us. And uh, it's, it's all good. There's nothing here that cannot be replaced or restored. And so it's no big deal. And then they're kind of, like, confused. Like, well, that's it? Like, there's no consequence? Or there's nothing? They're like, no, like, here's the deal. We thank you for honesty, and we thank you for sharing with us the brokenness. But here's what I want you to realize. In that moment, I started thinking through some things, because um, we think that when you have brokenness, that in some ways there's level of brokenness. But what I want you to realize is that when something's broken, it's broken. And it doesn't matter how broken, because there's no classification of this is more broken than that's broken, because broken is broken. And so let let me just explain this. If I take this glass jar, which right now is functional and it has use and it could hold something uh, for some of you in here, it could hold your vegetables for a season. For others of you, it could hold your sweet tea. Uh, For others of you, it could be a little vase or a little plant or it could be lots of different things. But if I'm just to take that and just kind of, oh, oh, the question is, is, is this beyond use? Yes. And here's the thing is that's the way we think about ourselves is we look at this and we go, well, it's just broken. But the question is, what if it wasn't this broken? It'd still be broken. And what I want you to realize is that it's when you come to the place that you acknowledge that you're broken, 
that you're disconnected, that you're in despair, that the Lord can actually begin to restore your soul. And I think one of the challenging things is that for so many of us, we fail to acknowledge that we're broken. And then there's many of us that we acknowledge that we're broken, but we think that we're broken more than other people. And I think that's a challenge. Either way, maybe you're here like, I don't think I'm that broken. I mean, that's not that mess, there's nothing too messed up with me. Well, that's a challenge. But equally as much of a challenge is for you to think that you're beyond restoration. And so today, as we dive in to this psalm, uh, in order for you to understand verse 3 in this chapter of Psalm 23, is for you to realize is that you are broken, but you're not so broken the Lord can't restore you. And so as we gather this morning on two campuses, as one church, looking to see what the Lord has to say, let's just ask real quickly for him to give us wisdom, uh, because James uh, tells us that if we ask, that he would love to give us wisdom generously. And so let's ask him for wisdom as we spend some time together in God's word. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray, God, that we would be attentive to your word, and we pray that it would speak to our hearts. And I pray that Everyone in this room could identify that we are broken, uh, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that we are vessels that could be useful to you if you'll restore us and repair us and mold us and shape us. And so today, that's what we ask for, is that you would help us to understand this language of being restored and that we would have a good understanding of what that looks like. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so Psalm 23, it begins uh, with these words, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for What? You are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, when we read this psalm, I think oftentimes we think about it in the context of a a funeral or some sort of encouragement in that sense. But here's what we need to know. This is very much for us to apply to our lives every day. And in order for us to apply verse 3, that he restores my soul, we have to be able to understand verse 1 and 2. In verse 1, just that the Lord is our shepherd. And so what that means is you have to acknowledge that the Lord is our creator and our life sustainer. He is the one who desires that you and I would lack nothing. And so as we think about God, it's impossible for us to believe he can totally restore our brokenness if we don't believe that he has the best intentions about restoring us. And so the reason that he wants to restore us is so that we lack nothing, meaning that there is nothing in the world that can fulfill us like the Lord desires to fulfill us. And he wants to meet our every need, all of our provisions, that we would lack nothing. Matter of fact, he says, I want to lead you to a place where you have green pastures. But he doesn't just want us to have fertile, lush pasture, but he wants us to have the ability to lie down and enjoy that which means that we got to be free from distress and all the worries, the anxiousness in the world around us. we got to be free from discord among other sheep. 
we got to be free from um, some of the displeasures and the disease, the little parasites that we find ourselves in. And, and we can't ever be without um, just the idea of being satisfied. And so that's what the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to have um, living water in which we never thirst again, and He wants us to lack nothing. But when we do, and when we're in despair, or we feel disconnected, He wants to remind us of where we become connected, or where we have hope in the midst of our sorrow, or where we have peace in the midst of our chaos. He wants to remind us of those things. And so the idea of this This text is that the Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. I should lack nothing. And he wants to give me what I need, what would satisfy me that I would never thirst or even hunger for anything outside of God and his righteousness. The challenge is, is that that's probably not most of us in this room. I think most of us in this room, we probably struggle a little bit with contentment. Uh, We probably struggle with finding our purpose in this life. We probably struggle with managing all the things that are going on around us. And I think oftentimes we look at our lives and we just find ourselves in pieces and we ask the question, who is going to be able to fix this mess? Who is it that can restore me? Who is it that can give me hope? Who is it that can set me on a path towards something that's purposeful? And so we begin to, in a sense, cry out to the Lord. And we're saying, help, help me. And listen, I want you just to to understand that you're not the first one that's ever been broken. You're not more broken than everybody around us. We're just broken. Now, real quickly, on both campuses, how many of you just raise your hand and go, I know that I am broken. Okay, that's a good place to acknowledge. And so you go, I I know I'm broken. I, I, I know I'm in need of a Savior. And so now... I'm crying out. Well, listen, you're not the first one that's ever cried out. Matter of fact, uh, there's a psalm, Psalm 42, and it's a group of, of uh, kids. They're called the sons of Korah, and they're children who are praising the Lord for his faithfulness, but they find themselves in a season of doubt. And in this Psalm 42, uh, it begins with this verse 1 that a lot of people recognize. It's like, I'm like a, a deer that's panting for streams of living water. So it's like we want thirst. And then it continues in the psalm. And they're, they're kind of wrestling with, is the Lord good? Is he faithful? Will he restore me? And they find themselves in a sense complaining. They're complaining and they're worried about their enemies, their adversaries. They're worried because they're not in the land enjoying all the things that God had for them. They're worried because um, in a sense they're Their worship is not as full. There's just a lot of things they look back on and they go, I'm just not in a good place. But even in their complaining, even in their desire to have more, they find themselves saying these words that I feel cast down. And then right after they say the words cast down, they remind themselves about the Lord's faithfulness. But let me just show you what it is. It's the idea of cast down. And it just says this in verse five, why are you cast down? And they're talking to themselves. It's like this rhetorical question. Like, why, like, why are you cast down? I don't know if you ever look in the mirror and you're like, hey, why, why am I worrying about this? You know, and you just, you, you talk to yourself kind of in a weird way. Um, I, won't ha- I won't have you raise your hands if you do that. I do it all the time. I talk to myself in my own head and they're, they're doing this. They're like, why, why am I cast down? Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? And then it says, hope in God, for I shall praise him, my salvation, my God. And so on one hand, they're like, why am I this way? Why am I cast down? Why am I confused? Why am I discouraged? Why am I in disrepair? Why am I so broken? Why am I so messed up? And then they're like, but God, you're still good. 
They do that. And then they do it again as you kind of move into verse 6. And my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep and the roar of the waterfalls and all your breakers, your waves have gone over me. So it's like, okay, but I'm so messed up. And I'm, I'm like, I'm just cast down. I'm like, I'm confused. I'm scared. I'm worried. But God, you're so good. I remember when you were good back in the day. You were, you were good a long time ago, and I remember Jordan, and I remember Mount Hermon, and I remember Mount Mizar. I remember all those things. And so God, okay, I can take a deep breath. And they take a deep breath. And it's like, okay. And then you get down to verse 11. It's like, why am I cast down, oh my soul? Why is there this turmoil within me? And that's the Psalms over and over. Like, why am I cast down? Why am I discouraged? Why am I in despair? Why am I disconnected? And then it says, but I'm going to hope in God for, again, I'm going to praise Him. He's my salvation. He's my God. I don't know about you, but is that ever you? It's like, God, where are you? My life's just messed up. I'm like, I'm, I'm in disrepair. I'm disconnected. I'm alone. I'm scared. I'm isolated. But God, you, I know you're good. And it's just this battle back and forth. It's kind of this waging war in our soul. And see, the idea of cast down, though, is a familiar idea. Cast down is the reminder that we're broken. It's like, God, I'm in, I'm in despair. I'm disconnected. I'm alone. God, I'm cast down. But God, I know you can do something about it. Well, the reason that you have verse 3, he restores my soul, is because oftentimes a shepherd would find his sheep in a place where they were cast. Now, sheep get cast for a variety of reasons. One is because they look for lush Fertile ground, they look for a plush place to be comfortable and they'll go to lie down in a comfortable place and they'll realize that there is actually a little sinking hole which will flip them over and they're cast. Sometimes it's because they're overweight. That's why. They eat too much and they don't exercise enough and so they're overweight and so they'll get cast that away. Sometimes and occasionally it's because they're pregnant, but they're, it, they'll find themselves in a cast position. Uh, and then there's other times where it's because they have too much wool and they'll get entangled. So they might go to lay down next to a briar patch or maybe even a barbed wire fence and they'll get caught up and tangled and they'll find themselves cast. And the question is, is well, what in the world is cast? Because I'm not a shepherd and I don't own sheep. Well, here's what cast is. The best way I can explain it in a way that you would understand as a Texan is if you're driving down the highway and you see an armadillo that's dead, they're on their back and their four legs are straight up in the air. Everybody, you noticed that before? That's cast. Cast means you're flat on your back and your legs, and it happens to sheep occasionally. And the way it happens is because they're looking for something comfortable and it flips them over or because they're overweight and they get flipped over or when they get entangled in other things because of their wool, they get flipped over and there's nothing they can do. Now, the challenging thing about sheep is that the way that their stomach is created is that it, it'll, in a sense, settle with rumen uh, and it'll kill them within about three or four hours on a very hot day. Now, in a day in a climate which is cool, unlike what we deal with, they might could survive for a couple of days. But in most cases, in severe, severe heat, if the shepherd is not attentive to the flock, then they will lose a, a great ewe lamb and even her babies. And the reason why is because she's cast and she's helpless. And so when David says these words, restore my soul from the perspective of a shepherd, it's a shepherd that's so attentive to the flock, not only to meet their needs, to give them 
fertile places to, to eat from, but also to know that there's an occasion in which they'll find themselves straight on their back and they're helpless. They're defenseless. There is nothing that can happen. And so anytime that a shepherd sees buzzards circling overhead, they're going to run out into the field. And the reason why is because there's a great chance that something in the herd is hurt or perhaps is cast. And they just need to be put back on their feet again. And that's exactly what will have to happen. They'll go as a shepherd. They'll find a cast sheep. They'll flip them over. They'll straddle them. And they'll rub their legs so that all of the circulation in their legs comes back. And then they'll let them go. And you might think, well, it's a frustration for a shepherd to go out and find a sheep. And maybe, but it's not for our Heavenly Father as He pursues us. And I want you to realize that the way that he first sets us up on our feet and removes us from being cast is when you think about Luke 15, the pursuit of a shepherd. He leaves the 99 and he pursues the one. That's what God has done. In all of our brokenness, he goes, I want to give you a new life in Christ. You may think you're in disrepair. You may think you're too far gone. You may think that you're hopeless. You may think that I'm just a vessel that's beyond repair or use. There's nothing good about me. And listen, your heavenly father wants you to know that you are loved. You are created in the image of a holy God. And you just need to be reminded of that this morning. You are loved. He has already set you up on your, your feet. You are his. You're a part of your herd, of the herd of God. You are the part of the flock. Now, listen, I, I'm not talking specifically about that as much today as what it looks like as after we've been put on our feet. We were once cast, and now he has restored us. This thing called salvation. We were sinners, and yet Christ died for us. We have confessed with our mouth and believed in our heart that he is Lord, and he has saved us. Okay, that's a fancy language for he took all of our pieces and he put them back together. Now the question is, is why would God take all the pieces of this and put them back together? And here's why. Listen, pay attention. It's so that you would be useful, that he could fill you up so that you could be poured out. Fill you back up again so you can be poured out. That's why God restores us. He fills us with his spirit he loves us. He has a plan for us. We are a part of the herd or the flock, which means you're a part of the church of God. So that's what happens. But listen, does it ever happen that we know that God has restored us? He's got a purpose and a plan for us. He saved us, if you want to use that word. But we still find ourselves kind of going back to the things we used to do. Every now and then you find yourself isolated, confused, lonely, despair, discouraged, and disconnected. That happens, right? The question is, is how does that happen? And so here's how it happens. The same way it happens in a herd with sheep and real live shepherds is the same way it happens for us, the metaphorical sheep of God's pasture. First, a lot of times it happens just for the reason um, that we mentioned a few moments ago, and that's because we all desire comfortability. Uh, we think that being a part of the flock of God means that we should be comfortable. But I want you to think about this for just a second. Is that really why God called any of us to be a part of his flock? Like, is that really why he took and gave you the pieces back? And is that why he really put you back together is so that you would be comfortable? 
I don't see that in Scripture. Matter of fact, Jesus says some really, in a sense, harsh and sometimes uh, very transparent words. But he would say this, hey, if you want to follow me, uh, then you need to lose your life in order that you'll find your life in the next life. Uh, He might even say this, hey, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. He might even say this way, hey, I have been crucified, but if you want to follow me, then you need to be 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 crucified in Christ as well. And you should no longer live. The idea is that Jesus even says this. He goes, look, if you're going to follow me, he goes, you need to know that you're going to, you're going to give up a lot. Matter of fact, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve to give my life as a ransom for many. If you want to follow me, that's great. It's going to cost you something. And not only is it going to cost you something, but you're going to have to pour out your life over and over and over again. Because that's what Christianity is. Um, he goes, listen, if you want to follow me, he goes, you need to know. Uh, and he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He uses Paul to say it to, to Timothy. He goes, you're going to find persecution in this life. You will be persecuted. He tells the disciples. He goes, they're going to hate you because they hated me first. Do you see this language? This language we don't talk about in the local church is the language that Jesus used. He goes, listen, if you want to be a sheep, then you've got to be willing to follow a good shepherd and it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy. And yes, I get it. You think that comfortability in this day is the Christian's goal and aim. But C.S. Lewis says it this way in a way that's marvelous. He says, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. So if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Matter of fact, when you think about Christianity, you should not think comfort. But unfortunately, because of the society we live in right now, we think Christianity is synonymous with comfort. But that's not what it was to Jesus. Matter of fact, what Jesus would say, if you want to follow me, get ready to be really uncomfortable. If you want to follow me, get ready to pour yourself out. And listen, can we just be honest with ourselves real quickly? Pouring ourselves out as a sacrifice does not sound fun. Serving others who are not like us doesn't sound fun. Giving our lives away and lives that are already already too jam-packed and our schedule's too full doesn't sound fun to make a little time for other people, does it? But that's what we need to understand as Jesus goes, look, following me is not fun. It doesn't make you happy, but my promise is that following me will make you holy. And there's a lot of us in this room that we're ready to give up on our marriages because we're not happy anymore. But if you'll lean in and quit worrying about being happy and start being holy, holy and pleasing to the Lord as a wife to your husband, that's when God will begin to move. That's when God will begin to move. If we as the church will stop thinking about how many people are here to serve us, and maybe we should start thinking about how we serve one another, God can begin to move us towards holiness. Matter of fact, I want you to just think about comfortability. It puts sheep on their back, and it's also what puts us disconnected and in despair. Um, but comfortability, what does that mean? Here's what, when you say comfortable in church, here's what I think of. I think of absolutely no clear mission. Comfortable means I'm never inconvenienced. Comfortable means nobody ever speaks into my life. Nobody actually tells me the truth, which means... Comfortable means nobody really loves me or knows me, and I'm not giving anybody permission to say anything to me. Comfortable means that there's not a cross-shaped path. There's nothing that says I need to die. Comfortable means there's uh, very little growth and there's very little urgency towards a real mission. That's comfortable. 
Have you ever been a part of a church when you look at it, you're like, there's no clear mission. All they want me to do is show up, pay up, and shut up. That's not this place. Matter of fact, I think that it's very clear in Scripture that there should be a mission and that the mission should cause us to all be uncomfortable. That we should all desire to live lives of authenticity, devoting relationally, not because it's easy, but because we really do need it. No sheep is good on an island alone. Why? Because they'll die. They need a good shepherd and they need the rest of the flock in order to survive. And so when we think about transformation in our life, we should think about serving one another. We should think that holiness means that we're marked by sacrifice, that we're marked about doing hard things, that we embrace hard truths, that we enter into really hard conversations because we love one another. That doesn't sound very fun, does it? Doesn't sound very comfortable, but I think that's the challenge. And so even as we go into starting point, starting point is a desire for us to move people towards membership, a pathway to being all that God has for you in the local church. We show a video and it's two contrasting things. The church can be shown as either a cruise ship or it can be shown as a battleship. Now, let me explain real quickly. The cruise ship language is what I hear most as a pastor. People ask questions like this. Hey, as we board your ship, are there things for my kids to do? How is the service? Uh, is there going to be good things on the buffet? Do we get to eat on our own time schedule? Um, how's the music in the ballroom? Do you mind turning that to what I desire at the level I prefer? You might even ask yourself the question, do I like the ship's captain? Do I like his crew? Do they service me well? Do they do the things I think they ought to do? Or do you see yourself as leaning into a battleship, which a battleship has little to do with your comfort and has a lot to do with a clear mission? Does the commander know what their mission is? Does the commander, does he speak to a higher authority? Is there someone that he is accountable to? Is the mission so clear that everyone on the ship, on that vessel, is willing to give their lives for the cause? Are they being equipped that if in a time of war they could give their lives up, that other lives are saved? See, we think comfortable is best. But here's the deal. Comfortable has little cost, little sacrifice, and little requirement of any of its members. But the pursuit of being God's people means there's great sacrifice. There will be death involved, and people will pay a price that others may live. And I don't know about you, but I think that one of the challenges the American church has, and I would not be so foolish to presume that we don't have it here, is there's way too many people that are comfortable. The question asked oftentimes in our lives is, how, how little do I have to do in order to continue to be good standing here? Hey, am I okay just to mop the deck every now and then? Like, but I don't really want to go to war. And I think that's the idea. So oftentimes we look up and we are on our backs. We are cast. Our feet are in the air and we are hopeless, hoping the shepherd somehow reaches in. And the reason we got there is because we sought to be comfortable. We've cut all the people out of our lives that will tell us the truth and will actually love us well enough to do that for us. 
We have removed ourselves because they ask too much. But listen, can I just be very clear? The very thing I need you to know is that when we set out on a mission eight and a half years ago, we set out not to ever be large, but to be committed. To be committed. And, and I, want to just be, I want to be very clear here. There is no one here that has to serve you. They serve their king. And oftentimes, I think we've come to expect that they're here to serve you. And I just need to make that very clear. There is nobody here that is here to serve you. You are the benefactor of their service to their king. But we have become an entitled group of people, and we're flat on our backs wondering why our legs in the air is because we've sought comfortability. Wow, may it not be. The other reason and that happens is because we're overweight. Um, overweight is oftentimes what we think about uh, in our physical lives. The question is, how do you keep yourself from being overweight in your physical life? Well, it's a challenge for many of us. And, and the reason why is because it really does have to do with eating and exercising and working out things. This is a very similar thing, and there's language in the New Testament about what it looks like to be an athlete and what it looks like to really, in a sense, press our bodies. And that's difficult. It's even more difficult, I think, spiritually than it is oftentimes physically. But Paul writes to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 8-10, through 10, and he just says, uh, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds a promise of the present life and also the life to come. And he goes, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and we strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. But he says, listen, as you think about beating your body in submission, he goes, you need to know that there is a great value in you being godly in every way. And I think what happens is we're not just seeking to show up and be comfortable. One of the things that I oftentimes here too is, hey, pastor, we're visiting your church. And he goes, we're, and people will say this word, we're just looking to be fed. Anybody ever said that? Yeah, I'm visiting just because I want to be fed. You ever know what, the, you know what that means? So what it means is, is we're looking for Bible teaching. We're looking for someone to instruct us on the Word of God. But here's what I need you to understand. Is that you would never take your kids to education, whether it be private, or homeschooled, or even in public school. You would never educate them for an hour a week and think that that was good education. If you were to take them to the best university and you were to say, I want you to spend an hour a week here for the next year, you're not going to look up and see your student changed. And the reason why is because there is no adequate teaching and education that happens in one hour. But yet the American church thinks that we can be educated in an hour, but not an hour a week, but an hour a month. We actually think if we're educated 12 times a year, that we're going to be all that God has for us. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? And the reason it's ludicrous is because we think if occasionally we show up and we get fed, that we're going to be nourished for a season. But listen, if you think about godliness in that way, you will never, ever find yourself not on your back. You'll always be cast. And the reason why is because God intends for our time right here to simply be a reminder of what it looks like for you to worship the Lord every day in your pursuit of Him. He desires that you would feed on the Word of God. Green pastures, still waters, daily, and that we would just come together and remind each other of that. That we would just remind each other that they don't find yourself on your back this week. 
Don't find yourself getting complacent and comfortable. And more than anything, don't find yourself with the idea that everybody here is to serve you. Because that's a dangerous place. And you'll look up one day and you'll be in despair, you'll be discouraged, and you'll be super disconnected. And you'll be asking questions, God, where are you and where are your people? And it's a challenge. Here's what I think I want you to know. And I have a friend, his name's Todd Wagner, and he just said this. He said, when we started our church, I never intended forever for anybody to ever come and watch me do ministry, but I always wanted them to do ministry alongside of me. Can I just say that's true of us? Listen, when we first started, my desire was never to be the Brandon show. It's never been, hey, why don't you show up and watch me tell you what to do, you pay up, and then you shut up. And, I, and here's the deal. You'll tell me that I'm doing a good job, and I'll thank you for coming. And that's not the church. It is a comfortable, overweight Christianity which leaves us on our backs desiring desperately for more. And we wonder what's happened. Why am I this way? And so here's what I would just encourage you. Listen, there's a lot of us in this room that we need to stop attending church and we need to start tending to God's business. Let me say that one more time. There's a lot of us in this room that we need to stop attending church and we need to start tending to God's business. And listen, if this is the place in which you think that you can grow and there's a clear-cut mission, there is a commander-in-chief that we all report to, then I would say you should get on board. But if it's anything less than that, I would commend you to jump over the, the deck right now. And I'm pleading earnestly with you, if this is not a mission for our King, for our Savior, the one who willingly died for us in order to make us more holy, to conform us to His image, and to feed us in a way that we are transformative in our lives, then listen, this is it. But if it's anything less than that, we ought to be jumping off every day. Matter of fact, I'm reading a book right now by my friend Todd Wagner. It's called Come and See. And here's what just marked me this week. He says, it is a wonder that people believe there's not a God in heaven when there's nothing transformative about God on earth. There's nothing marked differently about you and I who attend our churches because we're not tending to God's business. It's a wonder that people don't see the faithfulness of God in heaven. So how, is, how are they to know that there is a God in heaven? It's because we are about his business and we are tending to his work. I pray that we would do that. And then here's the deal. A lot of us, we struggle because we are entangled. There's too much wool, right? And so it can be said this way in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, a, a book of the Bible that I've been reading just this week. And it just says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I don't know about you, but when you think about the local church, when you think about membership, when you think about doing life with other people and these things called journey groups, when you think about attending a starting point and saying, hey, sign me up, help me to be on mission. The question is, is do you see yourself as a person preparing for battle? Do you see yourself as a soldier, an ambassador for our king? Or do you see yourself as just somebody that shows up and, and you just tell me what to do, a volunteer of sorts? And here's what the scripture says. He goes, no, listen, you are a soldier and a soldier doesn't get entangled in things in the world. You don't find yourself getting flipped over on your back because you're entangled in, in, in civilian pursuits. He goes, you've got to keep your eyes focused on the prize. 
the author of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. He goes, hey, therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight or lay aside everything that entangles us and the sin that we cling to so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The idea here is that we would realize that God is calling us to be about his business. And for some of us in here, the reason we're not is because we're too comfortable. The other is because we're overweight and all we want is to show up and tell somebody or, and let somebody tell us what to do. And then we want to leave, pat each other on the back and say, we'll see you next week or, or we'll see you in a few weeks. And then the others of us in here, it's, it's we're just entangled in things of the world. So let me put it to you in a way you can understand. Lean in with me, okay? It's really important you hear this. You and I would never show up to a gang meeting and say, hey, do you mind if I attend your meeting? You would never go to any gang leader and say, hey, would you mind if I just observe kind of what's going on today? You know what they'd do? They would take you out into the alley and they would beat you. Or better yet, let me ask you this. If you attended the gang meeting and they said, hey, this is what our gang is going to do, and they find you as a gang member not doing it, what are they going to do with you? They're going to get rid of you. You know why? Because you know what gangs do? They do the gang's business. They agree. They, they get a pack together and they say, we're going to be about doing our business. And you know what they do? They go and they leave their mark everywhere that they go. And they're about doing things that they agreed to do. And it would be absolutely absurd for us to think that we're going to join a gang and then somehow call our own shots. Because gangs do the gang's business. As a New Testament believer, Jesus is calling us to be a part of the gang. And Jesus' Christ followers are about his business. And, hey, and listen, not just at the meetings, right? I mean, that would be foolish. I'm just going to be about the gang when I'm at the meeting. We're going to do the chants. We're going we're to do all the things we do. And then I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do the gang stuff when I'm... Jesus followers are about Jesus wherever we go. Amen? And the question is, is are you about Jesus wherever you go? Now, some of you are here like, oh, dude, like I'm getting slammed. And I just say, hey, welcome to Stone Point Church. We are so glad you're here today. <laughs> so can I just tell you real quickly where I'm at and why I'm so thankful that we landed on this verse is because he desires to lead us towards righteousness. Restore our soul and lead us on paths of righteousness for his namesake. So I start thinking about that. What does that look like to be led on a path of righteousness for his namesake? And I think about Psalm 119, 105, that his words are lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I think about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which just says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him that he would make your path straight. I think of a good shepherd who he and all of his infinite wisdom and in all of his sufficiency, he knows what this foolish sheep needs most. And he knows what I'm prone to, to find myself laying in the middle of lush, fertile grass on my back. With my legs in the air, absolutely helpful, uh, helpless, and I know exactly how I get there. I get there because I get comfortable, I get complacent, I get overweight. I think that there's going to be a guy who tells me about the Word of God as opposed to eating on it daily. And if I'm just really honest, I find myself getting entangled in civilian pursuits. I think 
that tasks are more important than people. I think that ministry is about messages on Sunday rather than a mission throughout the week. Anybody can relate? And yet he goes, I want to lead you toward a path of righteousness. I want you to know and desire me and my word. And I want you to know that you're not better alone. And you're not better being comfortable. You're better when you're what I want you to be. And I just pray that what you understand is this. God does not want you to be a more slicked up, polished sinner. He didn't want you to know enough that you know the lingo and you can talk yourself around in Christian circles and still be on your back. And I think that's what the American church, and quite frankly, if I'm honest, maybe this one's producing. Polished, slicked up sinners who are entangled in civilian pursuits and we pat one another on the back and go, yeah, God's good. Yeah, I'm doing great. Are you really? So here's my prayer. As we pursue righteousness around here, this is the prayer that I've been praying. God, what do you have to do around this place to get our gang to be in about your business? And I'm praying with a group of guys about this very thing. And I, I've honestly, in my mind, I've pondered several things. Like, hey, do we whittle our membership back all the way down to 100, just people who are faithful and do everything they agree to? Like, are, like, what drastic measures do we have to take to help the flock know that we're serious about the king's business? And I don't know what the answer is, but what I do know is this, is that in this particular season of our life, I do not think that this body is making the difference that we set out to do eight and a half years ago, if I'm just honest with you. That's not a threat, and I'm not trying to guilt you or make you lean towards compulsion in any way. What I am saying is this, is that I know what my higher authority wants of the local church. I'm committed to be a part of it with my family. I've given up a ton for the sake of this body. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes in order that people know that this gang is about the business, about God's business. I don't know what that means for you. What I do know is this, it should be a conversation. It should be a conversation of just asking yourself, am I comfortable? Am I just selfish? Am I, am I? And I pray that it's a movement of God. I pray it's a movement forward together or a movement off of our ship. And I pray that the Lord will help you decide what that looks for you. And listen, again, my heart is not guilt or compulsion. It is just going, I want to be all that God has for us. And I pray that we'll let him decide what that looks like for the rest of us. What I don't want is for to be another church in this county that says, show up, pay up, and shut up. That's not my desire. And so I pray that the God of heaven and earth would spur us on and restore our souls and get a lot of us off our backs and into the herd. And I pray if you're here as a first-time guest, I pray if nothing else you would hear is that we are serious about living out our faith. And it might be a little scary to you because like, oh, dude, listen. That's what Jesus called his disciples to, something scary. Something you couldn't put your finger on. But the world was changed by such a movement of God. 
Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this morning. I pray that you would encourage our hearts. I pray that as we sing here in a few moments, I pray that many of us would sit right where we are, just asking and pleading with you to help restore our soul. Lord, that you would lead us towards paths of righteousness for your namesake. It's for your namesake. The only reason that you set us up on our feet is so that you are made famous. It's not about the sheep. It's about our shepherd, the one who is faithful to meet all our needs. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love and your devotion that you cared so deeply about us that not only did you send your son to die a sinner's death, but moreover, you continue to search us out one by one, restoring us gently and putting us on our feet. God, may we be about the business of being your ambassador. May we be your soldiers. May we be your athletes. May we be your farmers. May we be cultivating relationships around us. May we be sowing seeds of righteousness. God, help us to be about the gang's business. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.